You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You, you feel this this nervousness on the phone there? Sir, I've been trying to make an urgent phone call up there. Well, I don't think it's something I want to do on an overseas phone. You got to make some phone calls. Hang up the phone. Prank caller. Prank caller. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to Packernet After Dark. This is the call-in show of the Packernet Podcast Network. Please feel free to call in. At any time, day or night, we're here ready for you. 608-501-0718. That number again is 608-501-0718. New callers do go to the front of the line. We don't uh, don't have any. So, Nico, get your thoughts out, man. I was kidding. I don't really hate Aaron Rodgers. Okay. You know. I loved him when he was around. It's just okay. time for him to go. But hey, go Pecco. Should have should just played that last night. Thanks, Nico. Hey, Ryan, it's Nate. Hey, um, Nate. Just listened to Packernet after dark, and I realized that you you basically went over everything that I talked about in my last call about like the nuances of some of these subgenres of horror and and everything like that. So I just wanted to know that I did call in before I listening to that I'm episode. So I, I, I wanted that to be one hundred percent clear. <laughs> And then I also, um, I know you were talking about like the the music for horror movies and like the, how that might yeah. make a difference. And yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think there's um, a certain element of that for horror movies. And I thought you might actually find it kind of interesting that a lot of the sounds um, that you probably associate with horror movies actually come from uh, one instrument. It's called a water phone. Water um, so check that out. It is it's actually kind of a terrifying uh, looking sort of instrument um it's like a it's like a metal disc and then it's got a bunch of like spikes or tines coming off the whole outer edge of it pretty weird but uh but yeah that and then i know for a lot of older horror movies it's uh fern and um that kind of yeah. noise that's uh that comes from one instrument also so just a couple fun facts and then uh, i do have a movie recommendation okay if you uh if you like movies that kind of use a lot of sounds and music um in the ways that they scare you and kind of get your heartbeat going. The movie Sinister is actually really yeah. good with that. Pretty um, sure I've seen that. Let that movie's just that. really, really good horror movie. Um, it's got like one big jump scare that'll really get you. But uh, yeah, go pack, go. I'm trying to remember, because all these things are starting to blend together, because I've seen so many, and like some of them I've seen halfway through. I'm almost positive I've seen that. Anyways, um, let's listen to what a water phone sounds like. We can get this queued up here. I should have clicked it earlier. Here we go. Oh, dang. Dude, I want to get one of these. There's nothing to it. All right, well... Good to know. Never knew about that. Sinister. I just want to... 
try to remember what this is even about. It's got some big names in it. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That um, actually, I think, I think Dusty might have recommended that to me when I was looking for recommendations, and he recommended this one. It is a, it is a good movie, and it definitely has that like darkness to it, where it's like, oh, dude, come on. It's pretty good. It's a solid movie for sure. Hey Ryan, uh, hey. the two-parter. All right. First part is um, I, I keep hearing analysts say that this overall draft class is not that great, and I'm not really sure what the contributing factors are that led us to that point. But aside from a couple positions like tight end that we've talked about forever, I kind of agree that there's not a huge amount of offense talent. You know, like they're talking about the offensive tackles in this class, and I heard James Palmer from NFL Network say, like, you know, there's no Tristan Wirfs in this draft class. You know, and, and James Palmer actually graduated from Ohio State, and he loves Ohio State, so I found that a revealing comment, given that Paris Johnson is one of the considered to be one of the premier left tackles in this draft class, but I don't know, what's your overall thought on the depth and top-end talent of this draft class? Alright, that's question one. It's funny, because you and I actually just talked about this today, um, but as far as top-end talent, I, I, my thought has been pretty consistently. Maybe aside from Bijan Robinson at running back, there really is no. I don't want to say top end talent because that's not entirely true. But in the top ten, you're kind of getting ripped off. Maybe there's a good. Maybe there's a Sauce Gardner with one of these corners, Gonzalez or something. But I mean, the the number one pass rusher. I just I'm not that into him. I don't think he's that good. I don't. I honestly I don't really like any of the pass rushers. That guy out of Georgia. I cannot get into him at all. He's way undersized. Somebody cut together like a highlight video, and um, I don't know that I was super impressed by any of them. He had a couple interceptions because they drop him in coverage a ton, which makes sense because he's small and he's not going to do that as much in the NFL. But anyways, um, and then like some a lot of his sacks, I actually timed him on the highlight reel. I got my phone out and it was like three point six seconds. Like that's not impressive. That's a coverage sack. It took him forever to get there. Um, there was one against Alabama. It was a, like a miscommunication between the tackle and guard. You know, they're kind of both half blocking. I mean, he kind of just ran right through them, which, I mean, it's not his fault, but I just want to see somebody dominate people. And at 235 pounds or whatever, whatever that Georgia guy is, he's just not going to do it. And Will Anderson's small too. He's not that small, I don't think, but, and, and who knows, maybe he'll end up being a stud. But I mean, again, you think about like the Bosa's and like those guys that are absolutely, he's nowhere near that. Even like Chase Young, who hasn't materialized, he's not a Chase Young. He's he's not that. The quarterbacks, again, I don't think, I mean, there's clearly not a Trevor Lawrence. There's not a generational talent type of guy. It's one of my least favorite quarterback classes in a while. That that doesn't mean anything. Again, they, they could be end, end up being great quarterbacks. I just don't think so. Maybe one of them will be, but... Um, the tackles, you know, again, they're they're good, not great. There's no Panay Sewell. Um, even tight end, like, well, they got great tight ends. Yeah, but not Kyle Pitts. Not like this dude is a top five talent, like generational. We've never seen a tight end like this kind of guy. It's, you know, maybe they start going around 15-ish, maybe. 
not top 10, which has happened. There's been several that have gone, uh, you know, I think, what, Hawkinson went top 10, and um, I think, maybe not quite, but I thought he did. Yeah, but aside from Bijan Robinson, there really isn't that guy that you look at, and it's like, dude, that's that's crazy. But what we also mentioned is, and I, I don't know this necessarily to be true, this takes a lot more effort to really analyze this, but the depth of the draft. Depth is is... I don't want to say infinitely, but very close to infinitely more important. Because if you're talking about a lot of top-end talent but no depth, that means congratulations to the guys that are getting top 10 picks or the top 15 or the top 20. And then you get your one stud, maybe, unless you're the idiot team that misses. Because you know two, three, four, five teams are going to end up picking the, the few guys that didn't turn into Hall of Famers. But then what? Second round, third round, fourth round, fifth round, sixth round, seventh round, undrafted free agents? You get nothing. Look, for building teams like the Green Bay Packers who, you know, want to kind of reboot this thing and, and and restock with young talent, get those wide receivers and tight ends and and tackles and guards and edge rushers, defense, you know, all that stuff. I, I want to know that, you know, in, in the second round, there's some high-end second-round talent. In the third round, there's bleeding over some second, like guys that in previous years would be set. You know what I mean? Like the depth is massively important. If you're in the fifth round, you're getting like third-ish round talent guys. Granted, it's not top end. They're not as good as like these elite first round guys, but you're able to find like the Romeo Dobbs and the Zach Toms. And it's like last year where you, you know, maybe we don't hit that superstar in the first round. And I don't think we did. We'll see what Wyatt and Walker can turn into. Plus, they're late first round, so that doesn't necessarily even count. We're talking second round prospects at that point. But the depth is all we care about is the top end guys. What we should care about is the depth, I guess is what I'm saying. And so when Gutekunst talks about, you know, there's a lot of depth at these positions, that's a good thing. And we all think like, oh, you said tight end, there's a lot of depth. We're taking a tight end in the first round. Well, that's not what depth means. It doesn't mean we're not going to, but it means, you know, we'll probably draft one or two or who knows three. I have no idea. And there's a higher chance of a hit rate because, again, in the middle rounds, you're still getting premium talent. So I can't really speak to the depth of the class. We've heard Gutekunst talk about it a little bit, um, and I, you know, trust his judgment and other people that spend a lot of time and energy going through two, three, four hundred prospects. But I think that's what we got to hope for. You know, that first round pick, you're kind of hoping maybe if there's... And, and actually, 15 isn't bad considering because I think that's about the value of these guys. I would bet there's a guy that's going to go between pick five and ten that in previous years would have gone after pick 15. You know, like like let's let's say Quentin Johnston gets picked. If he was a wide receiver last year, that dude's a late first round pick, if that. He's not as good as George Pickens or Christian Watson, in my opinion. I'm sure people would disagree. I don't, I don't think he is. So 15's not bad, and I think this is a good year to stock up on picks because if there's depth, trade back into that second round or whatever, you start getting a lot more of that kind of value. So we'll see how it plays out, and um, definitely getting to be that time where we need to start familiarizing ourselves with some of that mid-round, late-round talent. And um, you know, I think we, we've pretty well... Most of us have pretty well hammered out the first couple rounds. Usually that's what happens. Everybody kind of gets familiarized with the first two rounds of prospects, and after that, myself included, there's a couple guys. Like, I, I've seen this guy, I like that guy, but you can name a handful of names that are third, fourth, fifth, sixth-round players, and I'm like, I have no idea. I don't know anything about that guy. Oh, shoot, I was going to go to your next call, but you had a second part of your question. And question two is, um, you know, I apologize if you touched on this before, but... What's your position on fish tacos? I've had a couple really good fish tacos recently, which is kind of a new addition to my 
uh, palette, I guess. And, man, they're good. Man, they're good. But, uh, I don't know, I need to try more of them. So, I think maybe once I threw, like, some tilapia on a tortilla or something sometime. I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's basically like an entirely different food. You know what I mean? Like, you, you put different, like, uh, lighter salsa, fruit, you know, like some lime or something. I don't know, but there's a right way to do it, and I haven't done it. And I don't know that it would be for me. But based on sort of the, the basic way that I've done it, and this was a long time ago, my thought on it is just basically these things don't really go together. Fish is better without all that stuff. I don't want the tortilla with fish, and I don't want, I don't like salsa, so I wouldn't want that on there anyways. The chunks of vegetables is gross. Um, and tacos would be better filled with, like, anything else. Beef, chicken, pork, whatever. So, it just seems kind of like a waste of both. You know what I mean? You ever seen those things where it's like, this is good and this is good, and then some people mix them together, and it's like, well, now you just made them both worse. I don't understand why you did that. Like, if you gave me a plate of delicious fish, whatever it is, I don't even know, what what is the main fish you put on? And I, I think so, I've seen somewhere it's like breaded fish and stuff. It, I'm sure there's a right way and a delicious way to do it. You got to go out to California and be like, all right, let's, what's the right way to do this or something and, and figure it out. I should give it an honest chance, but you got to understand, if you're going to give me a fish taco recipe, you're going to struggle because I don't want salsa on it. May, I mean, maybe, but it can't be like that. I've, I've seen it before where it's... it's I like juicy salsa with very limited chunks. And I've seen it before where it's like, it's just chunks. There's really no juice anywhere. Like liquid. I'm not doing that. I'm not eating a bunch of onions and tomatoes and peppers and stuff. That's not going to happen. So if you think you can give me a recipe for a fish taco, I will do it tomorrow. But it's, it can't be... I don't, I, sorry, I don't like vegetables. Like I, I'm getting better with tolerating them as I get older. I used to be the guy that would like literally pick the chunks out of the salsa. I'll just deal with it now. I eat spinach and carrots and celery and some basic crap like that, but I'm just saying, if that's the only way to do it, then it's just not for me. But I would like to try it, because I love tacos, and I do like fish, and if we can put those two together, that'd be great. Plus, as far as like being healthy and stuff, I mean, tacos, honestly, as crazy as it sounds, not like white people tacos like I used to do it, where it's ground beef, and then like a giant handful of cheese, and you melt it, and then you eat like seven of them, and you gain 500 pounds. Not those kind. Like, Real tacos with the corn tortillas and, like, some meat and a little bit of, like, I just put hot sauce or salsa or something on it. Those are freaking healthy. They really are. Like, there's no calories in that. It's carbs, protein, a little bit of fat, low calories. You can devour those. You start putting fish in those? Oh, my goodness. I could eat 20 of them. Easily. They'd be sub-100 calories per taco. Guaranteed. I know because it's barely over 100 when I put ground beef on it. It's not very much ground beef, but, you know. So I'll say that I'm open to it, but it's one of those things where I'm pretty sure I wouldn't like it, and I almost don't want to try it because I know it's like a sacred thing to some people, and if I'm like, it kind of tastes like crap, then, you know, a lot of people are going to be offended by that. And I don't, I don't want to, you know, I, I, I'm fine with offending people, but food, man, do your thing. It makes you happy, that's fine. I just don't know if it would be my thing. Let me ask the robot for a fish taco recipe and see what happens. See if this sounds legit to you. Ooh, simple and delicious fish taco recipe. Okay. So white fish, tilapia, cod, halibut, all delicious fish, by the way. Especially like out in Wisconsin, we all do the fish fries, which is usually cod or halibut. Real good stuff. Real thick, hearty. Mm. 
All right, all-purpose flour, paprika, garlic powder, cumin. We're good. So that's so we're gonna batter this. Uh, beer batter it apparently. Uh, one cup of beer. Corn tortillas. See shredded cabbage. No can do. Avocado. No go. Cilantro. Lime. Hot sauce. For the creamy lime sauce, sour cream, mayo, lime juice, lime zest, pep, salt and pepper to taste. I could probably deal with that. I'm not big on sour cream or mayo, but you mix it up. Just a creamy sauce. Whatever. I'll 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 try it. So if I got rid of the cabbage and avocado and tried this, do you think that would be a legit fish taco or am I bastardizing this? Am I ruining it? Because I'll try this. I'll do it. It actually, it doesn't sound bad, especially with the fried fish, which we're not talking healthy anymore, but still could be good. I bet my daughter would like it too. She doesn't like tacos, which breaks my heart. My son doesn't like tacos. My wife, I mean, she doesn't eat meat. So it's like, she likes quesadillas. My two youngest daughters are dope, though. Love tacos. My, my, my youngest, young kids will eat everything, so they're awesome. Everybody else is picky. It makes you feel like crap when you make delicious food. But then the little one's like, dude, I will eat everything you've ever made. It's like, you're awesome. I love you. But anyways, you got the fish. She likes sushi and stuff. Big on avocado. She actually eats avocado toast, which is like, you've got to be kidding me. You're Okay, great. I thought that was just like some fake thing that you talk about to make fun of people from California. I didn't know people actually eat that crap. I honestly didn't even know what it was. I thought it was like toast made from avocado or something like you somehow make it i had no idea it's just like no you toast it and like put strips of avocado and eat it and stuff it's like okay whatever that's stupid i will be honest part of me just thinks because it's like a big california thing i'm not gonna like it like it's so fresh and healthy it's like yeah i don't want that i want birria tacos because it's just like fried cheese on juicy fatty meat that you dunk into like a fat juice sauce that's my kind of taco right there but i'm gonna try it i'm gonna do it Unless you call in and say, nope, doesn't count, not a real fish taco. All right, I have a new question, and this is a, I think this is a good one. All right, cool. Um, so, as far as we know, or at least suspect, okay. Gudekunst, although actually, I think it was Mark Murphy was one of the people uh, the other day. Apparently, we're saying Gudekunst wrong. I think it's Gudekunst. I don't care. Oh, Larry McCarran was the guy who was, like, really emphasizing it. I went back to look, like, Mark Murphy says it the same way. Anyways, I call him good guns. Um, so as far as we suspect... Most people call him Gutenkunst, and that makes me nuts. And if I ever find out that that's actually how you pronounce it, I'm going to lose my mind. Because you can't just put random letters in there that aren't there. Gutenkunst? Gutenkunst? How many N's do you think are in his name? Gutekunst or Kunst or whatever. It doesn't matter. But just don't say Gutenkunst, which everybody says his name that way. It's so weird. Gutekunst is, you know, behind these rumors that kicked off Aaron while he was in his dark street. <laughs> and he's like pushing stuff out to Bob McGinn and Tom Silverstein and yeah. who else. To, like, manipulate Aaron into not wanting to come back and, like, basically unretiring, right? Yep. Like, as far as we know and suspect, we believe that that was Gutekunst. Probably. So my question is, if he's willing to do that, why is he not working the media trying to put pressure on the Jets? Because there's leaks coming out. But they're all negative about the Packers. They're all, you know, clearly from the Jets camp talking about uh, the Jets believe that the Packers are being irrational 
and unreasonable. Yeah. So there's leaks coming out, but they're from the Jets game. And, like, there's nothing, as far as I can see, nothing that's coming out from the Packers in any way to put additional pressure on the Jets. I would be, you know, leaking fake conversations with the Patriots or actually calling the Patriots try and create pressure on the Jets, that kind of stuff. I, I just, I don't, why would you not do that? I mean, it, just, it just seems like free leverage you're just leaving on the table. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure as you now know, this call came in on Monday, it's now, I think, Friday. Um, the rumors have started to brew about the 49ers, about the Patriots, whatever, now, whether or not that came from the Packers, uh, probably not. Maybe. I don't know. I will say, though, it's going to be real tough to... I mean, as as weak as the Jets are as far as their reputation and their, their team and their organization and everything, just by being a New York franchise, they are a powerhouse. And trying to beat them in the media game, I don't know that there's a harder team to beat in the media game than the Jets. Maybe the Giants. I don't know. But I just... It seems like... All these bigwigs are Jets fans. All the big media guys are all Jets fans. So when they get on the phone and talk to somebody, they're getting on the phone and talking to somebody like Rich Eisen or uh, who is that? Boomer Esiason. Boomer, Boomer Esiason, right? Eisen, Boomer Eisen? No, Rich Eisen. Boomer Esiason. I don't know. Getting all twisted up in my brains. But these guys are Jets fans. And, um, you know, I mean, they're... they're it's funny, who who was that guy uh we just played and I think you shared it with me too, JJ, but um anyways, he was he was he's a media guy. And what happened? The Jets coach called him and said, Hey, let's go have lunch. And then he kind of spilled the beans on all this different stuff. But I mean, these guys are like neighbors. Even if they're not Jets fans. Hey man, I, yeah, why don't we come out for lunch? So it's they they have the media wrapped around their finger, whether they're Jets fans or or whether they, if they want to, they just want... I mean, think about it. You're a multi-billionaire who owns the Jets and lives in, like, the media hub of the freaking world. You walk into any building you want, talk to any media executive you want. I mean, you, you can go out golfing with the executive of freaking ESPN probably anytime you want. So, um, yeah, I mean, they certainly could try to put a little bit out, but I get the feeling, honestly, that this is really amicable. Like, we want it to be this big, like, you know, they're smashing into each other and they're playing hardball and slamming their fist on the table and leaking stuff. But from everything I've heard, and I know you're saying there's some Jets side stuff, and, and maybe it could just be Jets fans being D-bags and trying to do it on their own, like maybe some Packer fans are doing over here with all these leaks. I don't know. That's just rumors. But um, the I, I, I really think they're just not doing that. Because it's like, this is going to get done. We just got to work out a couple details. I don't think it's really, uh, I don't think there's a lot of friction. I kind of wish there was. It'd be cool if there was like this big battle going on and this big showdown. But it kind of seems like they're just amicably, like, there's, there's no threats. Like, well, then we're going to do, you know, then we're going to take him somewhere else. That's just what we're doing on Twitter. It's, you know, even with the Jets, like, no, we're not going to reach out to anybody else. Like, this is what we're doing. And I think the Packers are kind of saying the same thing. Like no, we're not. We're not going to worry about that. Like we'll we'll get this done, which is a good thing because it means it's probably going to get done, and it's probably going to get done around the value that we kind of think it is, 
because, um, you know, I mean, if they were super far apart and the Packers wanted something around a first round or two seconds in a player or something, um, which I saw somebody recommend, it was, I think it was two seconds and Corey Davis, who I know you hate, but I don't, I don't hate him. And, um, like some conditional pick for 2025. And I don't know what that could become. If that becomes something high, that would suck, but I would be completely fine with something like that. Um, and if that's what we're talking about and we're just squabbling over a couple little details, whatever, dude, wrap it up. Let's get this thing going. So that's the only thing I could think. One, you can't compete um, with them in New York. And, and two, it's I think it's just amicable and they don't see the need to really push. Although maybe they should. I don't know. I don't know. If the, if the owner is going to crack, let's crack them and let's get this thing going. Hey, Ryan, Chris from Sun Prairie. Hey. I'm thinking that if the Packers take a tight end in the draft, they're going to be queuing in on the run blocking. Um, any standouts in terms of uh, run blocking, yes. according to PFF? Any, especially if you look at say the top ten prospects. Sure. Um, anybody particularly poor? I heard that um, some of the thinner guys like Kincaid and Musgrave aren't as good a run blockers as right. some of the beefier guys like uh, Washington and. I don't know if you're seeing PFF trends tell you the same information or if there's some surprises that we might find. Thanks. Yep, so we went over this a little bit yesterday. Again, I know I'm behind on calls, so you, you maybe already heard some of this, but we went through SIS and some of the tight ends. But since you're specifically asking, and we can add in um, PFF, why don't we go ahead and do that and kind of really hone in on the blocking aspect of things. So... Um, PFF, and, and I don't think I want to use the full database because it's actually probably more confusing. Um, but let's start with PFF. So just looking at 2023 prospects, and they've got... Ooh, there's actually quite a few of them here. How many do we have? do 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 112 prospects. So we'll focus on some of the top ones and then some of the other names just because they're way at the top. Um, so Travis Vokalek and Braden Willis are the two highest pass-blocking grades um, in this draft class. Both of those guys are very late-round picks. Braden Willis would be expected to be the earliest, uh, 274th. However, he's jumped up 51 spots just on this big board, so maybe people are just starting to wake up to him, so that might be somebody to check out. Um, Second-highest pass-blocking grade, 418 snaps so not a small sample size uh 34 pass blocking reps which is a lot but the first kind of semi big name that you've probably heard is mr schoonmaker i mentioned he might be a good michael mayer replacement um just a well-rounded uh blocker third highest out of what did i say 60 something no 112 way off um so out of 112 he's the third highest as far as the guys that we really really like darnell washington is sixth 78.4 78.4 pass blocking uh, grade. And actually, if we take a couple out that didn't have a ton, um, Schoonmaker is third. Darnell Washington would be fifth. Michael Mayer surprisingly has a 52.8 um, pass blocking grade. And uh, oh, run, run blocking isn't here. Um, he didn't do it a ton, only 12 reps. And um, as far as true pass sets, which is uh, a really important metric probably a little bit more important with uh, the pass blocking and whatnot. Looking at sort of just straight up one-on-one, nothing crazy, no double teams, no whatever. He doesn't have any. 
So I don't know what exactly he was doing on those 12 reps, but it was not a uh, just legit straight-up pass-blocking set. If you look at true pass sets, we've got Joel Wilson out of Central Michigan, uh, Pehe Harris, Georgia Tech, Will Wallace, Tulane, the Vokalek guy out of Nebraska, and uh, another guy out of Nebraska. But the first kind of, again, name that is sort of near the top-ish, Luke Schoonmaker is 16th, Darnell Washington 18th. So those are the two highest. If you're looking for Dalton Kincaid, he is um, out of the 77 prospects that have true pass set grades, he's 74th. So it's really quite bad. Just a 60 PFF grade. Um, when block, he does, He's another guy that hasn't done it a ton. In fact, the true pass sets, it was just one rep. So it was just one really bad one. And then he has a 60 PFF grade on his 17 other pass-blocking reps. Um, Sam Laporta also doesn't have any true pass set grades, but if we just go back to regular pass-blocking, um, I added FCS too because I was hoping to find um, Musgrave, but I still can't find him. He ranks 77th, and this is out of now 169. So long story short, Schoonmaker and Darnell Washington are the top pass-blocking guys. Um in this group if we look at um run blocking then we've got michael mayer and darnell washington near the top so the the top actually is kyle patterson out of air force um daniel parker oklahoma noah henderson out of Furman, and then it's michael mayer fourth best out of notre dame and this is out of um hold on how many we got here do 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 um over 200 <laughs> a lot more tight ends run blocking than pass blocking um and probably going to be more important for what we're looking at anyways if you're using a tight end so again darnell washington near the top fifth best out of over 200 tight ends um or actually and michael meyer mayer is actually fourth i'm sorry he's higher he has an 82.1 run blocking grade um 389 times darnell washington Run blocking 373 times, 81.3 grade. I don't know how much it really matters. I I suppose it probably does. But they do differentiate between zone and gap blocking. Somehow Darnell Washington doesn't grade out super great in either. So I don't know what what kind of blocking he's doing. But (laughs) apparently those two, he's not great at. 61.8 zone blocker, 67.5 gap. Michael Mayer, much more of a gap blocker. So we're talking just power. Um, which may be somewhat of a problem of, of, you know, blocking while moving, you know, motion and whatnot, but 63.6 grade zone blocking compared to his 81.6 gap blocking. So top blocker is going to be Darnell Washington, um, Schoonmaker, better pass blocker, Michael Mayer, better run blocker, run blocking again, probably going to be more important for your tight end because they're going to be asked to do it more. And then again, um, as far as SIS overall blocking, they really like Sam Laporta and Michael Mayer as the top guys. Um, per game, Michael Mayer, Darnell Washington at the top. And then you look at blown block percentage on passing plays. Darnell Washington, that Travis Vokalek guy that I mentioned again, uh, Brenton Strange, Luke Schoonmaker, Cameron Latou, Sam Laporta, Dalton Kincaid, and Marshawn Ford all have never had a blown block, which could just have to do with not doing it very much. Um, rushing blown blocks though Josh Weil out of Cincinnati Sam Laporta Iowa and Marshawn Ford all zero so hopefully that was 
answering your question. Why don't we go ahead and take a quick break? If you want to be super cool like Matthew L. Herbert, Hebert, 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 you can join in on Patreon or up your pledge. Michael, thank you very, very much. I really, really greatly appreciate um, your support. Again, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. You can support the podcast for just a buck. Just one dollar. Just be like, dude, fine, take a dollar, you freaking bum. You're so annoying. I can't stand. Just take the dollar and shut up. And I will promise you this. If we can get 25% of this listening audience to say, fine, take my dollar, I will never talk about it again. Ever. Until it dips down below again, then I'm going to talk about it, and then it's got to come back up. And for reference, we're a couple thousand short. <laughs> but you can do it, man. Tell me what I can do for you. Give me a task, and I'll do it. I'll do whatever it takes for that dollar. One dollar. Can you spare a dollar? If you don't want to support me, you want to support something that is a little more of a worthy cause, please consider checking out Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry. You can find them at FertileGroundRanch.org. See if that is something you'd be willing to support. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive ebay motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance superchargers roof racks exhaust kits led headlights and more whether you're into speed power or style ebay motors has you covered with over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die you'll always find exactly what you're looking for and with ebay guaranteed fit your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back because with ebay motors you're burning rubber not cash with the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Hey, Ryan, I'm going to call you before uh, Goodness. So this ain't good. So I'll make it real quick. Um, what do you think about uh, Bakhtiari maybe being traded after June 1st? Do you think that's a possibility and why would they do it? And is it actually contractually possible? Oh, my goodness. Garrett. Wow. That hurt a little bit. All right. Did Garrett call back at all? He did. He just called today. So he is 
alive unless that is Garrett's. That's the police asking if I... Do I know a Garrett? He seems to call you a lot. I figured you were his family. I'm sorry to tell you he was blown away to Kentucky and is now a chicken farmer. I'm so sorry. Anyways, uh, David Bakhtiari's contract, obviously we... Well, I shouldn't say obviously, but we cannot do uh, before June 1st, as you said, if we did it after June 1st. Um, it is entirely possible. Um, you know... Y- Here's a question before we even get into that, because the answer technically is yes, we can. But um, if the Bakhtiari trade was going to be a part of the deal, and I'm sure it's not, but I'm just thinking out loud here, you'd have to wait until after June 1st. Is there any conceivable way that the Jets would agree to a trade in which the Packers just give them their word that, oh yeah, after June 1st we'll trade him to you? I just don't see that being a thing, unless like Bakhtiari's on the phone and Rogers and all the agents and everybody else are on the phone, at which point it would be a massive scandal, basically, if the Packers are just like, ha ha, I got you, stupid. But um, yeah, the, the answer is yes. We're currently on the hook for his cap hit, that is $21.336.249 million, $19 million in dead money. But as I mentioned before, if we let him play... In 2024, his contract is $40 million. If we let him go, as opposed to extending him, we will save $21.5 million, which brings it down to almost exactly 19.8, almost the exact same number. It's literally $3 more. Which is to say, if we let David Bakhtiari go before the season starts, we have to pay $19 million for him to not be here in 2023. Or... We can let him play in 2023, and then in 2024, we let him go, and we pay $19.83 million. So if the cost is exactly the same, I'd rather just let him play. Now, if a team swoops in, we're planning on only getting you know one more year out of Bakhtiari, and we're going to let him go next year, that's the plan. But a team swoops in and says, I want him this year, and we want a bunch of, you know, we'll give you a bunch of compensation for him. We'll give you a first-round pick or something crazy for a star left tackle. You know, we'll give him an extension. He'll play here four years. It'll be great. Maybe you'd do it. Maybe you'd say, talk to me next year. I don't know. But on its face, it really doesn't make any sense to me to f- let him go this year. Because again, exact same cost. Just let him play and then do it, and it's same same dollar amount. So it's kind of like getting him for free this year, I guess, in a weird kind of not true but sort of true way. All right, let's get to the next caller. Hopefully there are no tornadoes. Hey, back, Eddie. Um, hey. Since it's still a slow news cycle, and I feel like I've been focusing on movies lately, I figured I'd come back to Aaron Rodgers. But yeah, let's do that. I don't want to talk about the whole trade situation, been beaten to death. What I want to know is, what do you think happened to Aaron? Like, he never used to be such a like nutcase, and like you can think whatever you want about it, but he does do some weird but he was never like that. Like, I, remember, I grew up watching him play, watched, like, every interview, watched him at, on everything that he would ever do, and he was never this. It was only the last few years. So what is it? What, what happened to him? Or was he just always like this, and he just had to try hallucinogens for the first time, and he's just that guy, like five or six different people that I went to high school with who the second that they do any kind of hallucinogen, they make it their entire personality. Right. And they think they're like the smartest person in the world because they do drugs. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know people like that. Maybe that's just him. Um, those people stopped being cool after high school. So, right. you know, 
sorry, Aaron, if you think that that's still cool to do in your, when you're going to turn 40, but I don't know. I'm just curious what you think, Ryan. Um, where did his marbles go? At, uh, and what year did he lose them? Go back, go. Yeah, that is funny. Uh, that That is the persona of everybody I knew, for the most part, that was like a big drug user. Usually it was pot, but it was just their entire persona was drugs. It's all they wanted to talk about. That's, you know, the, the way that they talked, even they had that like stoner kind of like, ah, yeah, you know, just that kind of nonsense. You know, they're smarter, they're faster, they're they're better at everything when they smoke weed. Like, you know, and then you, you go and smoke with them one time and what are they doing? They're just sitting there spaced out on the couch going, <laughs> like, dude, you're not smarter. You're not even moving, much less fat. Like, I, I, I get that maybe you imagine that you're much better at things when you're stoned. I've, I've, and that's the other thing. I've done it before. And maybe we're just wired different, but all it does is slow everything down, which means I think 10% as fast as I was before. I can't focus. I can't think. I can't hardly move on top of, you know giggling at everything or being paranoid about somebody walking toward me. I'm not super productive, but you're right. It's it's this whole it it kind of like is like everything else. You know, I like it and people attack it and so I have to just be over the top that it's just the greatest thing in the world like with Rogers or the politicians that we worship or anything else. It's just no, everything is it's the it's not you can't just say like no, that's a silly thing that you're saying like, you know, yeah, maybe it's not great. It's obviously horrible for my lungs, but I want to do it, and so I do it, and freaking leave me alone. Like, all right, fair enough. But to sit there and be like, it's I'm better, I'm stronger, I'm faster, I'm the... Like, okay, whatever, yeah. I've been with a lot of people who've done a lot of things, and I've never sat there and watched... There was one guy, but he was a freaking psychopath. Like, he was, he was up at, you know, 3 o'clock in the morning... I'd come out of my room in a daze, and he'd be up, like, writing a business plan. Like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm going to go down to McDonald's and get a coffee. You want to come? Or whatever. And he built, like, a... This was... We were in college, so, you know, 20-ish years old, 21, whatever. 18, 19, I don't know. He built a window washing company, sold it for a million bucks. And he bought this, like, really nice house that we went to and did some things there or whatever. But he's up, he's writing a business plan. And then he, like, he had this thing. I don't even know what it was, but he's like, oh, I got this thing. And he's like giving a presentation about this thing that he wanted to build. And he had people there and some of the professors. And I'm like, what What are you doing? I don't understand what you're doing. He's just one of those guys that's he's like an Elon Musk. He's just wired weird. So while we're downstairs, like I'm stroking a, a carton of orange juice, he's upstairs like talking about his ideas. And I wanted to, if I could move, I would have gone up there and punched him because it's like, you're talking too much and you're hurting my brain, dude. You need to be quiet. Like, people having normal, fluent conversations, it's like, I can't handle this. I need to stop. But I can't move. And in fact, I almost burnt his house down because I couldn't ash my cigarette. I watched it just burn, and I'm like, I remember asking somebody, like, what do I do? <laughs> what am I supposed to do here? So, yeah, I, I, I don't buy it. And, and the, the craziest thing about it is he's doing hallucinogens. And I was listening, I just saw a thing, I was, sometimes I get on YouTube and, you know, watch those shorts and just kind of flip through them. For some reason, that Aubrey guy keeps popping up. And he was talking about, he did six days in the darkness and, and you know, you don't want even a pinprick of light because it'll ruin one of the best effects. And that is that your brain kind of shorts out and you start getting visions. And it's like, okay, I understand that you're getting visions and all this stuff, but what is it that makes you think that when you poison your brain so much that you start seeing things that aren't there, 
that somehow that's making you a better person. I mean, it's like the, the kitchen needs to be clean. I'm going to throw a grenade in there. Why would you trust and dedicate your entire life to a hallucination? Especially when you listen to him describe some of the stuff when he's doing ayahuasca. Like, you know, I, th this person got ripped in half and melded into a tree. And like, well, dude, listen, you broke your brain, man. You didn't unleash something. What are you talking about? You're literally just poisoning yourself to such a degree that you're seeing nonsense and horror nightmares in front of your face and pooping down your leg. You're, I mean, you're, you're not deep, bro. This isn't deep. You're not on another level or another plane. And again, listen, do whatever you want, but I'm just going to give you my honest opinion. This is this stuff is stupid. This is nonsense. If you want to go hallucinate, fine, but don't sit here and talk like I'm, I'm trying to find my deeper self and try try to find true love and like I okay. I mean, that's a good thing, I guess. I'm I'm happy that you're trying to do that. I think there's better ways than poisoning yourself and pooping on yourself. I could be wrong. Maybe that's a requirement. I don't know, but probably not. And as far as when did this all start, I, I just think he got famous. He got Hollywood. He got, you know, and with a lot of these people, I mean, this, I always think like, why do celebrities always date other celebrities? I mean, I, I kind of get it because some of them are relatively attractive or whatever. And maybe it's like, I don't want somebody that just wants my money. So if I marry a super rich person, then whatever. But I think for a lot of people, it's really just a status thing. Like, I can't go to McDonald's. I got to go to like this fancy restaurant because I, 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 this is what I am now. I'm like on a higher plane. I can't do what the commoners do. I do like bigger things. So when people say, that's why they name their kids like River Rock because they're more advanced. And so I have to do something stupid just because if I do something normal, then that makes me lesser. So I have to, you know, or like Elon Musk naming his kid like like the state of California is like, dude, you can't, you can't call your kid a question mark, dude. That doesn't count. I'm not putting question mark down on his, on his freaking birth certificate, bro. What is it, an ampersand? I don't even, what are you doing? Well, you see, I'm better than everyone. So I named my kids ZX, Sherman, and the alien. Like, jeez, man. So that, so I, yeah. And that's why, you know, again, he won't work out or hang out with guys on the football team because although they are NFL football players, that ain't good enough. The rookies are nobodies haven't proven themselves. They're not even rich. But Jake Paul, rich dude, super popular, wants to be like advanced and on another level. And that's the thing, like this whole ayahuasca thing, it's an exclusive thing, right? I mean, it's one thing to sit in your basement and smoke weed, but everybody can do that. But not everybody can dish out the money to fly out to Peru or wherever he went and meet a shaman, you know, like the guru supreme who's going to mix up your ayahuasca and chant and and you drink the poison and then you poop yourself and then you start seeing visions of yourself getting split in half and, you know, sticking a spike in your neck and then all of a sudden you love yourself. I mean, it's, 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 it's nonsense that's built on I'm better than you. I do experiences you can't do. I've been to, you know, I, I don't just go to Paris. I've had a helicopter ride and been parachuted onto the top of the Eiffel Tower and then I started humping it. You know, I, I, I don't know. It's just like, I, I, everything I do has to be better than the commoners. And I think that's what this is. It's, it's like he, his understanding of the world is higher than all of us. That's the point of the book club thing. It's, it's this arrogant sort of like, I've read all these books. I have a higher understanding and a higher knowledge, and I'm trying to raise you all up to my level. And it's not even necessarily to say he's wrong. I think some of the stuff obviously is nonsense, and some of the books are just gobbledygook garbage. You know, I mean, you, you can read books on uh, whatever you want, astrology, Bigfoot, it doesn't make you smarter. 
but you can think that you are. Like I have a, an understanding of all these conspiracies and nonsense and trash and that therefore I'm smarter. You got to find good books and books that are correct. And then the more you consume those, and then you're kind of headed in the right direction as opposed to the wrong direction, but whatever. That's, that's my interpretation of it. He became Hollywood. It was funny. I remember Clay Matthews kind of gave him crap about that one time, just kind of joking on the sidelines because they're both from California. And like, I think Clay's from Southern California and Aaron's from Northern California, something like that. I don't remember. But he kept calling like, you so Hollywood, bro. You're so Hollywood. And that's, that's what it, I think that's what Aaron Rodgers is. I just think he's, he's on that level. He's an A-list guy. He's better than everybody. And in a lot of ways he is. He's better than me. I mean, kind of dumb, but he's got a lot more money and power and influence and probably read a lot more books than I have, even though that probably made him slightly dumber. I don't know. Maybe it's a tie because there's some good books. Just cancel them out with the bad books. But yeah, that's, that's my interpretation of the situation. Hey, Ryan, it's me again. Um, wanted to call in to do one more movie recommendation okay. um, just because I'm bored and I, one popped into my head. Um, since you have kind of alluded to the, the fact that you're at least relatively a horror fan, mm-hmm. and I think you might be the kind of person who's into movies that are a little bit more um, out there, Yeah. Uh, there's a movie called The Voices. It stars Ryan Reynolds. It also has Anna Kendrick in it. Um, it's got a weirdly star-studded cast, but it was kind of a lower-budget movie. Hmm. Um, Ryan Reynolds plays a serial killer who, um, he's like, I think he's like schizophrenic. Um, so he sees things and like his animals, his pets talk to him and it's, it's a really weird movie, but it's really good. So, um, if you're ever in the mood for a good horror movie, The Voices with Ryan Reynolds. Awesome. Go back, go. That one I have not seen. So just taking my first swing at this, by the way, talking to the robot, I, I've mentioned this movie a couple times and I think it really is like my style of horror, if you're just trying to wrap your head around it. It's The Visit. It was made in 2015. It's directed by M. Night Shyamalan. M. Night Shulman. <laughs> it's okay. But I asked it like, okay, this is my style. What's my style? And it says, you enjoy psychological horror and thriller films, uh, often focus on mental and emotional states of characters and the audiences, creating tension, suspense, and fear without relying heavily on gore or graphic violence. Typically involve twists, suspenseful storytelling, and unveiling situations that keep viewers on edge, which sounds about right. It says some of the movies I might like, Sixth Sense, which in its day, super good movie. The Others, Black Swan, Get Out, The Babadook, Rosemary's Baby, The Shining, and Heredity, which some of those are very, very good movies. Shining, obviously, is a classic. I think I've seen, I know I've seen The Babadook. I think I've seen Get Out, The Others, and Hereditary, but I'm not positive. I could be wrong. But there you go. I think that's, I think that's my style. I don't know. Hey Ryan, it's Nate. Hey. Um, wanted to call in because I had a, a uh, morning thought when I first opened my eyes today. And since there's no god dang Packer Night After Dark again, Sorry. I guess I'm uh, stuck calling in to try to pump up the calls a little bit. But anyway, uh, my question is how many how many players do you think that we have that haven't developed that could purely based on uh, Aaron Rodgers leaving? Oh boy. And what I mean by that is you know that Rodgers just wouldn't throw to guys who had a lot of drop issues and um, just didn't like to use a lot of guys in the ways that they probably should have. Uh, you know, like, uh, and I mean, this is more of the team's fault, but like Amari Rodgers, that's kind of a team one. But my big one is what about Josiah DeGuardi? Ah, dang it, you stole like, mine. Rodgers didn't really like to use him. Maybe, maybe that was a coaching thing. Maybe it was, you know, the fact that he dropped some balls. But I don't know. Maybe now that Love is there, and Love will give him a few more opportunities, they kind of have a rapport together. 
maybe Aguara develops after all and tight end isn't as big an issue as we think it's going to be. We're still going to take one, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, we need depth, but I don't know. Just a thought. Um, and, and I just want to get your thoughts on how many people you think we have on this roster that maybe just haven't developed because of, um, you know, Rogers only liking his guys. Rebecca. Well, I mean, there's there's four answers. I'll, I'll say there's three: Watson, Dobbs, and Deguara. Um, you know, I, I I'll stand on the fact that I've seen Watson open nonstop, and you know, we we can nitpick some of them. Like, well, technically, he wasn't the guy, and this and that, and even. But here's the thing: even Rogers acknowledged it. You know, he talked about we'd go back and watch the film because Watson wasn't supposed to be the guy or whatever, and he'd look and be like, "This guy's open all the time. He's just always open." It's, but, it, but it ended up being like the Aaron Jones thing, where it's like, yeah, we got to find a way to get the ball in his hand. Frickin' give him the ball! Like, we got to find a way to throw to Watson more when he's open. Well, you could, I, I don't know, like throw to him when he's open or something? I don't know. Weird stuff, I guess. I, I can't really quite figure out the best thing to do. But it's probably something like that. But yeah, DeGuara, and again, I'm not trying to say he's a superstar, but it's one of those guys where every time he was utilized, I was impressed by it. He, it was a great catch, and he had some good run after the catch. Like, he really wants it. You know, he's a try-hard, if nothing else. But then they just wouldn't utilize him. And yeah, maybe that's a Matt LaFleur thing, I don't know. But um, yeah, I mean, Watson and Dobbs, for sure. I think all of us wanted more Watson and Romeo throughout the entire year. Wanted him on the field more. Wanted more passes going to them, wanted more routes designed for them, all that stuff, and it didn't really get that way. And, you know, again, maybe that's a them problem, Watson and Dobbs and DeGuara just not being good enough. Maybe it's a Matt LaFleur issue. Maybe it's an Aaron Rodgers issue. I don't really know, but um, I guess we'll see. We'll see if things start to uptick. And and just by the fact that, you know, Lazard is gone now and, um, you know, pretty much everybody's gone. There's really no other options but Watson, Dobbs, and DeGuara until the draft. So, yeah, the, all of their opportunities should go up significantly. Yes, hello, Ryan. Hello. This is Jim from Kentucky. I had previously called about the hard part about playing chicken is knowing when to flinch. Mm-hmm. The Jets GM and head coach wants to play hardball, claiming there's no urgency. But the owner, Woody Johnson, seems to be getting nervous. And from what I read, so are Jets fans. They're getting ready to panic, it sounds like. I still go back to what I said in my first call. Give the Jets an ultimatum. I don't know the proper protocol. Do you make it public or do you leak it so it is public? But come on, say it. This trade has to be done by Tuesday. Before the draft, which is April 25th, and we want your first-round picks, number 13, and both your second-round picks, 42 and 43. And we'll give you Rodgers in our third-round pick, and there are no picks that we want in 2024. And we tell them if that doesn't happen, there is no trade. Mm-hmm. Um it seems now I've read that somebody else is in the hunt for Rogers. I don't know if that's just uh, some kind of nonsense. Nonsense that, is what it to is. Drive up the price or to push the Jets to make your trade. Yeah. You have a competitor, another podcaster, who is locked on saying uh, picks 42 and 43 are the equivalent of pick 13. 
And so we can go ahead and take picks 42 and 43. I don't think he realizes this isn't about metrics. You know, two dimes may equal, or two nickels may equal a dime, but that's not true when it comes to draft picks. If that were true, why are the Jets so reluctant to make that trade for 13? And if 42 and 43 are the equal of 13, how come there's a big board? How come those players, 42 and 43, aren't slotted in slot 13? I thought I heard you say you were 36. I'm slightly double your age. 63, right? In 1989, when you were probably two, we had the second selection in the draft. The Cowboys took Aikman. We took Tony Mandridge. The Detroit Lions took Barry Sanders. And Kansas City took Derek Thomas. Three of those players are in the Hall of Fame. I'll let you guess whose selection is not. Let's not make that mistake again. This time, if he's available, let's take that B. Sean Robinson to running back out of Texas. And I know Aaron... So as three minutes ran out, he calls back. But let's pause there anyways to kind of get uh, caught up. And I think that is a good point. Um, that it's not necessarily true that two di- two nickels equal a dime. But you you can look at that two different ways. A lot of people, especially the stats people, will tell you that the two nickels is more valuable. Um, the, the likelihood of being able to get a hit and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, and I think a lot of GMs, you know, they tend to overvalue everything. You know, just like coaches overvalue their ability to coach somebody up so we want the high upside guy because we can coach him. We can get him to that potential. But that's the thing. Everybody wants that guy. And I I have a feeling that the reason most teams would covet 13 more so than the two second round picks um, is because they're looking at it thinking that they're, you know, the Jets are looking at it saying we're going to get the next Sauce Gardner. We're going to get the next Garrett Wilson. I'm not giving up Garrett Wilson for two second round picks. Um, especially since the Jets, let's be honest, they've been garbage in the second round. It's it's not actually a bad trade because the Packers dominate the second round. The Jets are garbage in the second round. They're, it's like their third round is the second round for them. We get two swings in the second round, man. I, I know a lot of people don't like it because we want that first round pick, but again, this isn't a top-heavy draft. It's a deep draft. We do well in the second round. I don't hate it. I don't hate it at all. I mean, if we if we want to try to work in like a pick swap, like somebody suggested yesterday, get up to 13, so we get a little bit of movement, and then we get, you know, a couple seconds or whatever, um, sure, let's do that. Then you still get your 13, you still get your sauce gardener, you just don't get two of them. Anyways, Jim continued. Yeah, this is Jim Wentucky. Hey. Three minutes goes by fast. <laughs> um, I wanted to take uh, B. John Robinson in the draft. If we get the Jets pick at 13 and we have our pick at 15, that's not that wild a selection. I'm not a professional scout. I don't know. But the published scouting reports you read have Bichon Robinson grading higher than Barkley did, uh, Leonard Fournette, or Ezekiel Elliott. And the things that they write about him, he's a rare combination of pure runner and pure, pure receiver. He's a great receiver. Just think how easy that would make life for Jordan Love. Let's not blow it like we did in 1989. Take this guy. Yeah, we have to maybe add some players on defense, but let's focus on our anemic offense. 
Let's add this running back. Let's add one or two tight ends. And there's still other picks that we can use to bulk up the defense. But we can't keep drafting defensive player after right. defensive player year after year and just ignore the offense. Just think of a backfield in which you have Robinson and Aaron Jones. Or you spell one running back with another out there with A.J. Dillon. Let's not let the teams that were playoff teams acquire a running back like this. Everyone says this guy was a top-five prospect, but metrics seem to be, oh, you don't draft a running back in round one. Why not? Would you pass up Emmett Smith? Would you pass up Walter Payton? Come on. Let's use some common sense here. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it is fun to think about, especially when you factor in, you know, sort of the modern NFL with running backs acting as... I mean, just think about, for example, as, again, unorthodox and unlikely as it still is, we draft B. John Robinson. You put those three guys on the field at the same time, think about what you could do. Aaron Jones and B. John Robinson are phenomenal receivers. You can split them out, no problem. Imagine putting three guys out there, and you could have a three-man backfield... You can motion Aaron Jones out, and you can have A.J. Dillon essentially acting as a fullback while you have, um, uh, what do we say, Bijan in the backfield. And Bijan's a big dude. Big, massively physical. Some of the some of the hits that he puts on people are just disgusting. you got Dillon leading the way. You've got Bijan Robinson, so you got to worry about that. And you've also got Aaron Jones as a legitimate receiver, or you could do the opposite. Or you could have the, you know, just the, the combinations are endless. And that's not to say that Bijan couldn't come out of the backfield and A.J. Dillon isn't also going out running routes. And we got three running backs running routes. And Dillon, Bijan, and Aaron Jones are all capable receivers. Again, wildly unorthodox, but possible. It is doable. But anyways, I think I'm going to leave it at that for today. You folks have yourselves a great rest of your day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.